Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. My name is Chris Rogers and I am your host. I hope you've had a good summer as we start back now with our post-summer term with a podcast. Um, I hope it's been a good summer. hope you feel refreshed. Hopefully that you've had some sunshine and, and all of that jazz. Now we're going to start back this term with an interview with Andy Bannister. Uh, Andy Bannister is the director of Solas and uh, I've heard him uh, speak at Spring Harvest. He's done a whole range of seminars for us uh, around sharing faith and I always found what he has to say super interesting. And then I spotted he'd written a book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot, a panic-free guide to having natural conversations about faith. I'm looking at this book thinking, hang on, that's what I want. I want a panic-free conversation with somebody that's natural about faith. I don't want to have all the anxiety about, am I going to look like a fool? Am I going to be an idiot? Am they going to trip me up or am I going to get cornered? Uh, I really want to just have a very panic-free, natural conversation. And so I picked up the book, started reading it and thought, this is it. This is fantastic. Let's get him on the podcast. Let's get him to talk with us about how we might share our faith. So I hope you find this really interesting. You could pick up his book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but I hope you find this interview interesting, even if you don't pick up the book, which I would say is really worth doing. If you're new to the podcast, massive warm welcome to you. Making Disciples is a podcast that's about helping us grapple with questions of faith, uh, how we'll be growing in the likeness of Jesus. Uh, we've been doing a, a series this year looking at the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. We got halfway through that before the summer. We're going to continue that into the autumn now as we keep looking at what does it mean for Jesus to be the blueprint of our faith in our lives. So uh, that will continue in the coming weeks. But today we're going to talk about sharing faith. Uh, if you find the episode helpful, I'd love you to give it a share, give it a like, subscribe to the to the podcast. Uh, it'd be great to have you with us on this discipleship journey. So here we go. Let's jump in with an interview with Andy Bannister on how we talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot. Andy, welcome to Making Disciples. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. It's a great to be with you, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, naturally, I'd, I want to talk to you about this topic of, of sharing faith, but then you put out this book recently that really caught my attention, and it, it it's really brilliant, and I've, I've really loved reading it, How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. Before asking any other questions, what, how did you come up with that title? Well, it's one of those great titles, Chris, that I'm happy I can big it up and go, it's brilliant, because I didn't come up with it. So I was living in Canada uh, when I first started speaking on this subject. I was off to speak at a, at a church conference on, and I think they'd given me the title of how to talk about your friends and family, about your faith in Jesus in a way that's meaningful and engaging. And it was an awful title. And myself and the two conference organizers jumped on a on a Zoom call, or whatever it was back then, and we brainstormed for half an hour. And out of that brainstorm came the idiot idea that it was much more punchy mm. and, and getting to the the nub of the issue for people so it was a sort of three-way conversation with two friends in canada and i can't remember who actually came up with it in the end but i've been speaking on it for 10 years before i wrote the book and yeah i love it because i think it names the elephant people are afraid mm. of looking like an idiot 
You know, it's interesting that you say it took that that number of years to write it because it really feels like a book that you have crafted really carefully and well. It it's really tight. It feels like something that's been worked on for a long period of time. It it, it has that mm. sense about it. This isn't something you wrote in the pandemic and put out fast. This is something you've obviously been yeah. brewing because you've got so many really helpful hints and tips in there as well uh, and stories. So let me let me ask you this. You know, why do you think we struggle sharing our faith? What is it that makes it hard for us? Well, a story I, I open with, Chris, I think back to my own time. So I'm I'm now you know in full-time Christian ministry, but I started out working for the health service. And when I worked for the, health, the NHS, I was an un- I call myself I was an undercover Christian in that I went to church outside of work, very involved in my church, but inside work, kept my faith quiet, said nothing, hoped nobody would find me out. And I remember a few years ago reflecting back on that experience and what I was afraid of. And I think there were a number of big fears that kept me silent. There was the fear of looking like an idiot. That was definitely real. There was the more spiritual version of that, which is the fear of making Jesus look like an idiot. I was afraid that I would say something that would be so crass, it would make the gospel look bad. I was afraid of standing out from the crowd. I think I was afraid of being asked a question I couldn't answer. And all of those fears, and I think the more I talk to other Christians as I travel and teach, fear, Chris, I think it's the big thing. People are afraid of those and, and other fears, and that's what holds us back. Fear is the number one obstacle, I am convinced, to people talking more naturally and more joyfully about our faith in Christ. Mm. That's really interesting. I've got um, a lady at our church has taught a group of us to go door knocking. And uh, it sounds very Jehovah's Witnesses, but we we go out once a month knocking on doors in our neighborhood and the desire is to just go and be a blessing to our neighbors, share something of Jesus, pray for people. The big thing, you you know it's the day of door knocking because we are all looking for excuses not to go <laughs> because it's we're so scared about the response that we're going to get. But as we've broken the back of fear, we are now even more confident uh, in sharing faith in any space. It's been really interesting as we've challenged um that i you know the fear that that stops us you know what Mm. what what kind of tips do you give or what do you say to people who Mm. who are just so scared about letting god down you know what do you say to them well i say a couple of things there i think the first thing is one thing we can do spiritually sometimes chris is we take the weight of the evangelistic world as it were on our shoulders we think that it's our job to be so persuasive and so engaging and so winsome that we talk to our friends or colleagues and they just fall in a weeping you know huddle at our feet and become christians that is such a huge expectation we've set that it's unlikely to be met and no wonder we're then going to feel failures when that doesn't come through But what about if we just downgraded it slightly and when our job in our workplaces and friendship groups is to be a faithful witness, to talk about Christ naturally when he gives us the opportunity and to demonstrate that Christians can be people who are interested in others and engaging and that faith makes a difference to our everyday lives. And then we trust Jesus to do what he wants with that. So that's the first thing, I think, is to lower the expectation threshold. The second thing, I love how you told that door-to-door story, because in the book, I talk about my horrific door-to-door experiences as a teenager. But I think one thing you described there is you you refer to we and someone who is experienced teaching you. And I think there can also be a community aspect in this. If you are someone who's nervous about sharing your faith, well, what about looking around your church and going, who are the people who are a bit more confident 
in sharing their faith? Can I learn from them? Is there something they can teach me? Can they help me? And then when I am thinking about sharing my faith, can I be sure I'm not doing it on my own? Have I got somebody else alongside me? Or if I'm, I'm in a workplace where I'm the only Christian, have I got Christian friends at church, perhaps in my small group, or whatever? Can I have Christian friends who are praying for me, who I can call after I've tried to share my faith that day and tell them how it's gone so I don't feel I'm on my own? I think one of the little uh, tricks the enemy plays on us is telling you it's all about you and you've got to do it on your own. You've got no help. You're out there, just you. And of course, that's so tough. And no wonder we find it hard. Jesus sent out the disciples in twos. Community needs to be at the heart of evangelism as well. Mm. Who who taught you or who who helped you to kind of break that, that barrier of fear? I am so grateful to a huge number of people, Chris, over the years. One um, one person who's a big influence on me is a friend of mine called Jay, who was doing street evangelism up in London at Speaker's Corner, uh, reaching Muslims. And I don't tell the story so much in this book. That's in the previous book on the Muslims and Christians worship the same God. I talk about that story. And he was ph phenomenal in my early 20s. He kind of took me on board and mentored me and really helped me learn how to just be engaging with the Muslim community in a way that was winsome. That was about a four or five year journey to learning to be confident in talking with uh, Muslim friends about my faith. And then more generally, uh, there have been a whole range of Christians uh, throughout the year. So I tell, uh, you know, I told the story in the book of my friend, uh, my friend, Sarah, who's just very natural at having everyday conversations with people. And we're just watching Sarah do that in cafes and everyday contexts. I've learned a lot about how to just be natural in those, uh, those conversations with friends. And then right down to the present day, one of the big inspirations for me is my wife. Uh, who is just very, very good watching her at work with our neighbours here in the community we live in in Swindon. We moved a year ago. Um, she's a very natural uh, builder of bridges with people. And so watching Astrid do that and learn from her and then come alongside her. She'll often build the bridges and then I'll have the conversations across them. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's been those, those three there, friend, whether it's friends, my spouse or, uh, or an older, wiser Christian sort of 20 years ago. It's amazing watching others, isn't it? And, uh, and kind of picking up a little hints and tips. I always love watching how somebody else shares their faith because it gives me a new idea of how I might do it. Um, I find that was super helpful. Uh, what What have you seen in others that you've gone, I, I'd love to be like that. That, that mm. thing that they do is something I would love now to build into my way of showing faith. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that, that spring to mind. One, I'm, I would say we're actually working on as a, as a family and it's a work in progress. I have watched those who have mastered hospitality and mm. using that as a, an evangelistic tool you know if you open your home up invite folks in uh that lowers barriers in all kinds of ways and so i think learning how to do that well as a family we've got young kids so that brings an element of chaos at times into our family home but because our kids are now getting to eight and ten so that's a transition point i think that's something we're really working on both me and uh and, and astrid as well as a family how do we do that and i think the other thing I, i'm constantly learning from i'm always interested in people who have the ability to start conversations naturally in almost any setting and i know one area that i'm weak um is i'm not a particular sports fan for example so i've got friends who are very able to start conversations from you know the cricket the footy whatever it is and that's the starting point if they're talking to a friend or a colleague or a neighbor just to get a conversation going and so for me looking at people who can make these bridges from almost everything in life and learn from from them is a is a biggie for me I and mean, we were chatting about this before the podcast began like film and media and stories and and tv shows is one way i do that if i find someone who enjoys the same you know it's the same novels the same tv the same films as i do you know i've learned over the years to use that as a conversation 
starter. I think the key thing, Chris, however we do it, is there's a great biblical model in starting where the person you're talking to is at, where the sport is their thing or family is their thing or, you know, movies are their thing. Start from where they're at and try and find ways to start your bridge there and then build across the gospel. We see Paul model that in Acts 17. So mm. bridge building is a key uh, is a key skill to learn. Yeah, I mean, that's a great little leap. So there's a, in the book, you talk about making the most of every opportunity. And I think when I was growing up, my experience of of sharing faith was through organized stuff. Somebody would organize a little gathering in the garden. Oh, and, and we'll invite some people around. We're going to try and share faith with them. And it just felt so uh, forced. Uh, so, you know, how do we go about just using natural mm. opportunities? You've just talked about sports events and, and friends. Um, how do we go around using every opportunity as a way of sharing something of our faith? Yeah. Well, the f- a couple of things I would suggest there, Chris. The first thing is to be praying around those opportunities. You know, I've for many years, I, I missed the very obvious uh, thing that actually God often puts opportunities under our noses that we miss. And so praying around those can be important. So, for example, you know, as a family, one of the things we'll often do is we'll try and start start the day before breakfast when we're gathered together as a family and having a little devotional time, you know, praying through our day and praying that God, you know, create either creates or brings to your attention opportunities. And sometimes we don't we don't take that step of praying for them. So pray is the first thing. Really pray of your day and then keep your eyes open to are there people God is bringing across your path. Second thing uh, I think you can do, um, I should have said two, I've got three. Second thing you can do, take an interest in people. You know, we rush through life in such a busy way, so many of us, we don't slow down. And I think if you take the time, you know, if you're buying a pint of milk at the local grocery store, take a moment to chat to the guy serving you. And if you're buying your big issue magazine from a a seller on the street corner, don't just give the guy the two quid and walk off. Chat to them a little bit. Take the time to slow down and invest time and care into the people uh, that you're bumping up against in everyday life. And again, you may be surprised that the opportunities that create. And then last thing I would say, find the opportunity wherever you can in the conversations that you're in to signal that you're a you're a christian this was what i was terrible at in my nhs days i compartmentalized my work life and my christian life find ways to signal uh that you're a christian in everyday conversations a very natural way to do that is for example the what did you do on the weekend conversation so you know most of us will have that experience of going into work on monday morning colleague may say how was your weekend and, you know, sometimes we can be tempted to, to even not mention church. We downplay it. We talk about all the fun stuff we did on Saturday, the family barbecue on Sunday afternoon, the movie we saw Sunday night. We don't talk about church in a really positive way about how great it was. And, you know, the pastor was really interesting. and It was great to hang out with others who are following Jesus. Find ways to flag up and signal that I am somebody who has faith and everyday conversations i've got a friend of mine who's a who does who's a consultant that uh, does consulting for a for a job and he talks about the fact whenever he's in a new business setting and he's often in new business settings he has learned terrifying as it is when people say well tell me about yourself he will always include he'll say well you know my name's steve i come from you know swindon i is my family i'm a christian uh he'll always flag that in when he's introducing himself now he said the first few times it's quite nerve-wracking but actually by doing that by front-loading it it creates so much more opportunity for conversations because he hasn't hidden it away so those are the three things i'd say to start with pray take an interest in people and bring your faith more front and center into those everyday conversations without scaring people and behaving like a weirdo obviously mm, i love that i love that you just talked about uh, you know the what did you do because in the book you have for um for w questions don't you you talk about the what question the why question the wondering question and the the weather question yes um 
do you know just walk those through with us because i just thought they they were really interesting um those four w questions that yeah. you gave us to think through in the book yeah well it's because i live in a house with small children we're very used to you know small words that begin with w and end with question marks um but in the book yeah there were four of them so the what question that's useful if you're talking with someone chris and they and there's a pushback if they raise an uh an objection or some hurdle to to faith so for example if you're talking with someone and they say well you know how on earth can you believe in god you know what where's the evidence um before panicking or you know running out the door screaming or downloading the half hour sermon that your pastor preached on this a week before what about saying something like well you know interesting you would use the word evidence you know what do you mean by that what would count as evidence for you um you know so that's going to let you to that's going to get you to dig into the question a little bit um or if uh you know another example might be if you've got a friend who says well you know when you mentioned god doesn't interest me i'm i don't believe in god i'm an atheist uh you could say well that's interesting atheist tells me what you don't believe but what do you believe you know what is life all about for you and so the what question just cracks the conversation open a little bit the why question is not dissimilar that happens. Uh, you can use that if somebody makes a, a statement or an assertion. So if someone says to you something like, well, you know, you Christians believe the Bible. I couldn't believe the Bible. It's, you know, full of myths and legends and superstitions. You know, rather than, again, sort of leaping in to try and answer that, you, you will need to answer it at some point. But you could begin with saying, you know, well, that's interesting. That's not the first time I've heard someone say something like that. But, hey, help me out here. What is it that you've read or seen or, or uh, come across that's led you to that conclusion? Why is it you hold the belief that you do? And often, you know, our sceptical friends are putting us on the spot as Christians. And that's fair enough. But we're turning the table slightly and asking them to justify what they believe or justify what they've said. And then the final two questions, I think, in today's culture, actually, are almost the more helpful ones, Chris, that you, often many of our friends are not going to be hostile sceptics. Many of my friends, I'm sure this goes for perhaps you too, are not angry atheists. They don't believe anything. They're nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-E, N-O-N-E-S. They are no religion. And I've got lots of friends who are sort of very apathetic about spiritual things. But what I've learned to do, look for something they care deeply about and probe it slightly. So a good example, one of my oldest friends, his name is John, classic agnostic. If you asked him, you know, what do you think about God? He'd say, I'm not interested in God. I've got no space for that. Doesn't doesn't interest me. But I noticed a few years ago, he had an, he had an Amnesty International sticker on the back of his car. And I remember sort of starting a conversation around, along the lines of, hey, just out of interest, I, I wonder why is it human rights really matters to us? You know, if there is no God and you're someone who says you wouldn't really care about God, um, it would seem to me we are nothing more than, you know, unguided matter and molecules. But, you know, you seem to think we really matter. Have you ever wondered where that where that belief comes from? So the wandering question is really interesting in cracking open spiritual conversations. And lastly, because I've been rabbiting on for a bit, the weather question, Chris, again, we live in this age where people, I think, are, are quite sceptical about people being too forceful with truth claims. And the weather question is rather than go, well, I think the answer is, you know, that God loves us and sent Jesus for us and you definitely need to repent and turn from your sins, you crazy pagan. Um, you might say something like, hey, I just wonder whether it might be the case that the Christian story makes better sense of what we see in the world. And I wonder whether it might be worth having a having a proper look at Jesus and his claims and what that might mean for you. So it just softens the rather than come through the door waving the pickaxe, you're inviting somebody to come and see, which is interesting because that's what Jesus did consistently. That language of come and see is all over the Gospels. Mm. I love that. I love this idea of asking questions because you're right. This is what Jesus does, doesn't he? 
um people approach jesus and he always responds back with another question yeah and i think we get cornered you know we feel like one of the fears that many of us have is what happens if i get cornered and i don't know an answer well actually the great thing about asking another question is even if you don't know the answer you can ask another question that might help you discuss that thing a bit more or actually take the conversation in a different direction um so have you seen that with jesus uh, asking questions in the gospels to kind of yeah yeah absolutely and just one very quick aside there chris in some senses even if you know the answer still ask the question you know for those of us who have been doing this for a while you can get you could get a little bit of experience and you can get that little bit cocky but just slowing down so i've taught myself when somebody asks me a question even if it's one i'm very confident in because i've dealt with it before just saying to the person that's a really interesting question tell me why do you ask it because you may get the personal story behind it and when we are engaging with questions we want to answer the questioner not the question jesus on the other hand yeah 307 questions he asks in the gospel somebody has calculated and there are there's some really numerous examples one of my favorite stories is the story of jesus and the rich young ruler in mark uh, mark chapter 10 and what the other gospels have it have it too so it's the story of the young guy who comes to jesus and says good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life and if you remember jesus says to him why do you call me good only god is good which if you think about it is a really weird response you know if someone knocked on your door and you opened the door and your it was your next door neighbor and they said hey you know good, good, good christian what must i do to inherit eternal life You'd probably invite them in for a coffee or chat them a bit on the doorstep. You do something. You wouldn't give that answer. So what's Jesus doing there? Well, then when you dig a little bit deeper into that narrative, you discover that there's a couple of things going on. Firstly, that young man has clearly got it into his head that being moral is how you earn your way to heaven. You know, you keep the commandments, keep your nose clean, live the best life you can, and you can earn your way upwards, which is actually a very common belief, common to many of the world's faith traditions, actually. And then you discover that his big issue was money. Money was the thing that really got its hands, his claws into him. And so to get to that underlying issue, Jesus uses a question. And the dialogue's fascinating because he's, Jesus strips away the moralism piece with a question. And then the money issue comes pouring out. Um, so that's a really good example, actually, I think, of Jesus really using a very short little question to turn an entire conversation on it on its head. Yeah. You just referenced something a moment ago about overconfidence. Yes. That's interesting. I'd love to say a bit more about that because I've noticed uh, when doing this door knocking, um, you know, we get partnered up. If I'm with a partner who is overconfident, they're just very sure, you know, the way that they're speaking, it actually can close conversations down because people don't respond well to that overconfidence. But when you're a bit more authentic and a bit more natural, uh conversations open have you experienced that oh yes and i would say definitely as somebody as well who is inclined now to be a little bit overconfident that's probably my personality type so i have to learn that because i'm a, you know by training originally a philosopher and so we like arguments right so i think learning to slow down a little bit learning to ask the questions yeah i've definitely seen that i mean i i remember actually it's really interesting having a i was having i've got very careful i don't out the individual i was having a conversation with a family member uh, last summer and this particular family member I think a lot of the rest of my family who are Christians had assumed this individual had no faith but actually what had happened is people have been a little bit too assertive and as we sat on the uh, we sat on the cliffs uh, down on the south coast you know smoking a cigar together and uh, you know, kind of looking over the waves one evening having a chat 
you know, they turned to me and said, you know, it's not that I don't believe in God. Actually, I do believe in God, but I, I, I do believe in God. I, I pray every day. I've got a Bible on my, my bed. I, I do believe in Jesus. It's just that church I really struggle with, really struggle with church. And this whole conversation opened out and it was really interesting. But what caused it to take a while to come was there been a few other family members, myself involved, I think, over the years, had been a bit too confident, a bit too assertive. And actually what was needed was some space for that person to think some things through and express them in her own language. So yeah, I think I think that can be an issue. And to people who are like, well, responding to this, go, but hang on, as Christians, we have the truth, right? We want people to know Jesus. Yeah, of course we do. But you can still do a lot. You can do a lot of work with a question, actually. And if you doubt that, look again at Jesus. Jesus mm. seems to have no problem with questions and he no problem being directive. So I think a good question can be really powerful, Chris, because it can force the other person to think. Um, whereas if you, you know, share a very confident, persuasive answer, that what the other danger is the moment you've gone from the doorstep, they forget it. You know, they'll while while you're there, they're like, oh, Chris is very persuasive. But when Chris is half an hour down the street, the persuasion sort of evaporates. But if you've helped them think through something and discover it for themselves, then that's much more effective. Mm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for just being on, you know, just open about your, you know, sharing with family, because that actually is one of the hardest places, I think, sometimes uh, to, to get it right. And... Um, I want to talk about tough questions because mm. this is where many of you know one of the fears that many of us have is whoa what happens if i get a really tough question that makes me look like i don't know what i believe uh, and, and that's really can panic a lot of us into not showing our faith because we just don't want to get ourselves in a situation where mm. we actually look like we've not really thought through what we believe um so what would you say um to help somebody uh, respond to those tough questions mm. well the first thing i'd say um chris is there's there's nothing wrong with not knowing the answer to a question in most cases and it is interesting i think sometimes we need to avoid uh you know the sort of like the, the sort of camel of pride can get its nose under the tent if we're not careful that we feel we have to have the answers to, to everything well thankfully christian faith isn't like that jesus doesn't say to you and i right mates until you've got everything sorted out until you've mastered doctrine 101 you can't be my disciples you know christian faith begins with that recognition that jesus is lord and goes from there so you don't have to have an answer to every question to be a christian um, so what i would say is if someone asks you a question you don't know the answer to then be real don't mess about so that's a brilliant question and i confess i i haven't quite thought about that but you know what leave it with me if that matters to you leave it with me and i will go and do my level best to find you an answer and then of course you know be good to your word talk to an older older wiser christian talk to a pastor or not someone you know who's been a christian for longer than you do a web search read a book that we live in this age of such great resources um that, that i don't believe there's any question that you're going to be asked about the christian faith that there isn't an answer to it might just take you know a little bit of effort to dig it out and then what a great opportunity to go back to your friend and go hey thank you for that question you asked the other week i am um, i did some work did some digging for you and i've actually found an answer are you interested by the way note the question there's important don't bash them around the head with it are they interested they're probably going to say yes and then share what you found um the one exception to that i would say there probably are one or two things there's all christians we need to have thought about um if we are going to be people of integrity the what the obvious one i say to people is this is the suffering question you know if somebody says to you how can you believe in a good god when there's pain and injustice in the world you know ukraine or whatever it is if you turn around and go do you know what that's an amazing question i've never thought about that 
they probably will not take that as humility you'll look like an airhead um because you, you you know we are people of faith in a complex world so you know do have done some basic thinking uh on things but much beyond there i think yeah a lot of the time saying i don't know but i'll find an answer for you works remarkably well and by the way it helps you learn right i think all my my conversations with muslims particularly in the late 1990s every time i went to speaker's corner they had blinking questions i didn't know the answer to um and there was quite a lot of work in finding the answers but it was great because every time i found an answer my in faith grew i was like okay that was a great question that you know muhammad asked me the other week didn't know the answer i do now and now if i get asked it again i'm going to feel confident mm. i love one of the things you do in the book you talk about um five simple steps for answering tough questions and i loved these you talk at first about sympathizing mm -hmm. then you talk about the hidden assumptions apply the bible retell the gospel and equip your friend i just love those five things um this hidden assumptions you want to say a little bit more about what you mean by that by hidden assumptions yeah that's a really important part of the process uh chris i've learned over the years because when our friends who don't share our faith ask a question or raise an objection again if we leap in too quickly we can miss they all have brought assumptions into the question that they probably haven't identified a bit like the, the bulk of the iceberg you know sitting below mm. the waterline so a good example of that would be the suffering question that I mentioned a moment ago. If someone says to you, you know, how on earth can you believe in God when there's evil and suffering in the world? There's, there's you know, Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. You know, how on earth can you have faith? Um, can seem quite a daunting question, but there's a massive great assumption behind it. And the assumption there is that we can tell what is good and evil without recourse to God. Um, you know, who says that what Putin is doing is is evil? Um, after all, Putin seems quite happy. It's a choice he's made. And if we live in a godless universe, um, you know, all he's doing is, you know, we, we live in a world where might makes right, quite frankly, and uh, he's living that out. So who gets, who, how do you get to sit there and say that's, that's wrong? And one of the big hurdles for atheism is, I think, explaining away things like good and evil, right and wrong, justice and injustice, without absent to some, without, without appeal to some kind of transcendental source. Um, and so, you know, without banging your friend around the head with this, you're just gently teasing out, you know, obviously you think there's something wrong with what Putin's doing in Ukraine. Just what what is that? Can you help me understand why you think that's wrong? And you'd often get an answer like what everybody knows, to which you could just go, well, let's assume everyone doesn't for a moment. Um, can you give me a bit, bit more here? Because what you wanted to head people towards on that example is to get to a point where you can gently say, look, I actually think the Bible is more helpful here because i think on on atheism all we have is atoms and molecules in in motion and it seems very hard to you know label some configurations of atoms good and some configurations bad the bible on the other hand is very very honest that there is a good god behind this world but that something's gone wrong creation is broken and, and flawed um you know evil is is indeed wrong and an outrage and in fact it's my christian faith that allows me to look at what's going on in ukraine and to judge it accordingly um, so yeah, with the hidden assumptions, you're trying to identify where is the person assuming some things, bringing some things into the conversation they may not fully have identified and, and talking about those a little bit. I love that. It's just understanding the question behind and what, what, yeah, what, what's behind their thinking, isn't it? I, I do love that. Andy, thank you so much for this book, how to talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot. It, it really is 
um, a beautiful book for people who are wanting to wrestle through how do I become more confident in sharing my faith? And things like the the five tips uh, for tough questions, I just think that is so easy for us to remember and just to kind of put there in the back of your mind. So in those moments when you do need to respond, you're ready for it. So massive thank you for writing this. I think it's going to be something that so many Christians find super, super helpful. If anybody wants to catch more uh, about you, Mm -hmm. uh, what you do, we haven't mentioned um, your work, really. We just talked about the book that we talk about. But if anybody wants to find out more about you and what you do, uh, where should they go? The best way to do that, Chris, is to just use Google. If you Google Andy Bannister, you'll probably find me. Or if you Google Andy Bannister Speaker, you'll definitely find me. And that will take you both to my own personal stuff, but also to the web the website for the organization I lead, which is called Solas. That's the Gallics, the Scots word for light. And we there, we really do two things. We have good conversations, I hope, with people who don't have any faith. And we help train Christians how to have good conversations with people who haven't got any faith. So if they, go if they Google Andy Bannister and Speaker, you'll find me. And then the same will apply on social media. I'm on all the usual channels. And yeah, lots more content out there. And it'd uh, be great to have people engage with that. And if you've got a question that we haven't answered in this podcast, you can fire it off to me and I'll do my best. Amazing. Andy, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Likewise, it's been great to be on the show, Chris. Thanks again for having me. Wonderful. Grace and peace. <laughs>